Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, the Lord led me to a unique way to prepare for this time that I have with you. I believe it was sometime late Monday night when I probably would have preferred to be sleeping. The, led, led, the Lord led me, I should say, to pour myself out before him. Uh, in the early mornings, 2 to 3 o'clock, I'm pouring myself out before the Lord over a toilet bowl just throwing up throwing up all night. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One is that if my voice fades away, you'll know why. And two, that uh, you don't have to be afraid to come up to me afterwards uh, as an allergic reaction that I had to something and I'm not sick in any other way. But I'm thankful for this opportunity that God has given me to be with you. Uh, I think very highly of the Master's College being a graduate of the Master's Seminary myself. This is a wonderful place. Back when I was driving here, I drove so far, I thought that I was going to hit heaven before I got here. It's a wonderful place to be that God has brought you all to. But I would ask you this question, now that you are here, now that you have set this time apart in your own careers to come to the Master's College, why are you here? Why did you come to this place? Why did you come to the Master's College? Did you come to get an education? you will get a wonderful education here. Did you come to learn the Bible? You will learn the Bible, and you will learn it accurately and with a lot of precision. Did you come here to get a better job? If I come to the Master's College and I, if I get a degree from the Master's College, I'll get the kind of job that I want. I hope and I trust that that will happen. Did you come here to get a mate? Did you come here to get married? Now, some of you can say amen to that. I guess not many of you came to get married here. And that's a good reason why not to come. But I hope that you've come for the right reasons. I hope that you come to the Master's College for the right reasons. And while you think about that question, I will ask you to answer it honestly. Why did you come here? I will ask a second question related to it, and that is, why has God left you here? Why hasn't God just taken us all up to heaven yet? When you look at the United States and you look at what is happening in the world, are you not disturbed by the present level of sin that we deal with? Are you not appalled by the apostasy even in our churches? Are you not disturbed when you see the type of the, the, the depravity that takes place in our cities and, and across our country? And when you look at a holy God and a just God, do you not ask yourself, God, why have you not poured out your wrath upon this country and this world? Why have you not brought it all to end? What is keeping you from showing the righteousness of your justice? throughout our lands. When Peter answering that question for us, he said it is because, not because the Lord is slow about his promise, and that is to bring judgment upon the earth in the face of wickedness. That is not the reason why God has left us. It is not because he's slow to count his promises, but he is patient, it says. He is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason why God is so graciously leaving us here is not just for us, is that we would have an opportunity to win the more. That he would show the measureless mercy of his grace towards a generation that deserves it not. That it clearly shows that it deserves it not, but God is waiting for one more to be saved. He is waiting for one more to be saved. And that is why he's left us here. And I trust you've come to the Master's College to get equipped to run in such a race. To win some, to win the more. For a career, perhaps, 
for a great education, perhaps. But I trust that you come in order that you might be equipped and trained to run this race that God has set us in to win the more while he extends his grace and his mercy in his final hour to our country and the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us a description how it is we can run this race. How we can run this race that God has left us time to run. How we can run this race effectively in winning souls. And I will simply look at a few verses in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, trying for, for this moment of time that we have to describe, to describe this race that God has allowed us to run in, that I will call the race to win souls. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, reads in this way, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. In all things, they, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, not to, re- to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. As we look at this text, Paul is describing for us how it is we can run this race that I'm going to call for soul winning. And in verse 24, he says, first of all, run to win. That we have to run to win. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone runs, but everyone doesn't run to win. Everyone runs in a race Christianity is not a spectator sport. If we're in the sport, we all compete. There are no Christian cheerleaders. There's no one on the sideline saying, hurrah, go for everyone else. Everyone is involved in a race. This is everyone runs. Everyone is in the competition. When you were born again, you were born into a competition. You were born into a race. You have much say so about it. And it's a race with epic proportions. It is a race against the powers and principalities of darkness. The foes against us on every side. But nonetheless, when we have been called to be Christians, you have been called to run a race. And Paul says, therefore, run to win. Run to win. Run with purpose in mind. Run with a goal set before you in order that you might win. The runner is to compete. And the runner is to run to win. But we ask the question from this context, Paul. What is the Christian to run to win? What are we trying to win when we run in this race? Paul says in verse 19 and following through 23, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And I'll ask the same question. Win who? Win, Win what, Paul? What are you talking about? He says in verse 20, that I might win the Jews. He says, and to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law. Paul says, I ran to win the, those who are under the law, the Jews, those who are without the law. I came to run to win the weak, he says in verse 22 and verse 23. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In verse 22, that I may 
by all means, save some. Paul ran a race to win with this purpose in mind, to win some. He said to win some of the Jews, those who are under the law. He says to win the Gentiles, those who are without the written revelation. He says, see, I came to run to win the weak, perhaps the overly scrupulous. He says, I came to win all men. Paul saw that he had a purpose while God's grace was still extended in the age that he lived in, that he had to run to see the measure of God's grace being seen throughout his ministry. He wanted to see people won to Christ. And so he ran, he says. And he says, I became all things to all men in order that I might win some. In order that I might win some. I come to you this morning with a burden. Because whatever the church does today, whatever Christians do today, it's not always clear that this is the purpose that drives them with this measure of time that God has left us with. It's not always real clear that when the Christian lives this life that we live, that we're living it not just for the promotion, not just for the prestige, not just for the house on the hill, not for the, the two cars in the garage. It, it's not always clear why we're running the race that we're in. It's not always clear that we're running to win souls. And so I ask you, what is the purpose that you've come here for? Did you come equipped to run a race to win souls? Did you come to, to be all things to all men and all that by some means God will use you to win some? Does that, is that the burden of your heart? So when you go home to your neighbors, your non-Christian neighbors at home, what do you do with them? Do you invite them over for a football game in order that you might win the sum? When you go up with your hobbies, do you spend time with non-Christians in order that you might win the sum? Do you try to become all things to all men in order that God might use you? Or does a year go by? Another year go by, and no one is saved in your church, in your ministry, and it doesn't burden you. It doesn't bother you. Or do you try to become all things to all men in order that you might win some? You've come to a fine institution that can equip you to run such a race effectively, to train you, to teach you the gospel, so that you can find yourself with the flexibility and with the theological understanding that you can go and become all things to all men without compromising, as Paul says here, the law of Christ. That you can, be, you can find yourself adapting in different situations and know that God might use you to make a difference while he holds back his wrath. And I've come with this specific burden that while we run to win some, we need to run to win America, Samaria as well. Paul said, I become all things to all men in order that I might win some. He became, as it were, a tool in God's hand that God could use to send him to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the weak or to all men. And when I look at Christian, I ask, I ask us this question. As we run this race to win some, do we run to win the Samaria of America? Do we run into our inner cities to try to win those who are a little bit different than the 80-90% of what America is statistically? Do, do, we, do we go out and do we try to make an impact in those places where, when you look at the news, crime is described every night on the news? Do we try to win some there? What do we try to do? Do, do? do we run to win even there? When Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might win some, do we try to win some there? Uh, when we look at the news, do we just see problems and turn off the TV and put our head down and say, well, that's their problem? Or do we see ourselves as an instrument in God's hand in order that we might win some, even there? I ask you this question, what do you see when you see the news? 
What, what do you see when you see the news? What do you see when you look at the statistics? And what do you see when you see the fact that there are more black men my age in prison than are in college? What, what do you see when you look at the news and you see drive-bys and gang violence and all these things in our urban centers? What do you see when you look? When you look at the news, what, 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 what does it draw from your heart? What do you see? Do you see just someone else's problem? Or do you see the problem that God has called Christians to run to be an answer to? What do you see when you look at that? What did you see when you saw the L.A. riots? What did you see when you saw the verdict of a known wife abuse be set free? What do you see when you see these things? And what do you hear when you hear the answers from our urban centers in relationship to those problems? What do you hear? You hear the conflict and the problems. What did you hear when you heard the Million Man March? And what did you see? Did you see yourself as an answer to bring God's word to a situation that desperately needed it? Did you see yourself as being equipped to run in a race where God wanted to use you to make a difference? Did you see yourself as the only solution? Christians are the only solution. When you look and you see the problems in inner city L.A., do you see the same problems with this Orange County financial scandal? Did you see the same problem with the Menendez verdict that you did with the O.J. verdict? Did you see the same problem that has caused all men, all places, as a called to turn from God, and that is sin? The problem is the same everywhere. It knows no color boundaries. It knows no racial boundaries. It knows no economic boundaries. And what Paul is saying for us is that God has equipped the Christian to run a what race, to win some everywhere. But we have to run. We have to be seen. We can't retreat and back up. We have to run in places knowing that we alone are the solution. We alone have the answers. And if we don't run, the politicians will give the answers, but I've heard the politicians' answers. The economic, the economists will run, and they will provide their answers to the plight in our urban centers to win some. Well, they can't win some. They don't have the solutions. We can sit back and listen to our radio commentators give us answers, and we can say, well, they have the answers, but they don't have the answers. And we can wait for our educators to come up with solutions for the plight in our urban centers, but the educators don't have the answer. And we can wait for our legal system to try to resolve this, but the legal system does not have the answer, nor can they run in such a way to win the sum anywhere. The church alone has a solution. But how can we win souls in our inner cities if no one runs? How can we win souls in our inner cities if those who've been trained to run retreat? How can we win souls in our inner cities if the people in the inner cities don't hear the doctrine of the gospel being articulated? And if no one hears the call, then no one will hear it. If no one hears, how can we win? How can we win in such a race where we don't even run, where we don't have the purpose in mind to become all things to all men in order that we might win? Some. How about some? It is a disaster in our inner cities. And I won't burden you to talk about all the statistics. Because I'm not so pro tr troubled by just the sin in our inner cities. There's sin everywhere. I'm troubled by the lack of the response of those who've been equipped with the gospel to run. To run a race there. To run a race where it's hard. To run a race where they alone can make a difference. Where they alone can make a difference. 
you know, there's some fine institutions in our inner cities trying to equip and to train Christians to make a difference. I think of the Los Angeles Bible Training School. And my friend Dr. Levert has come to be with me this morning and to meet with you and to fellowship with you as well. Because it's a problem. And we're trying. And there are institutions, they're trying to train and equip people to run a race there in the inner cities. But, but when I look at the finest institutions around, I would think of the Master's College, the Master's Seminary, where if anybody can get trained to run a race, it's you all. I mean, you are being trained to run a race like perhaps no one else could run a race. And I'll ask this question, though. Will you run a race there to win some? Or will you look at your TV and say, oh, there's someone else's problem. Someone else will have to come up with a solution. There are no solutions. There are no solutions there. There are no answers. After the L.A. riots, I drove right through it all. Got in my car and I drove right through it. I saw the smoke everywhere. I saw the fires. I saw people running in front of my cars, carrying things in and out of stores. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart. I couldn't find myself saying that that is someone else's problem. Where I could have moved anywhere. I could have moved out of L.A. I could have moved into the nice suburbs. That is not my problem. But I am a Christian. And I know that God has left us here for a period of time in order that we might win the psalm. And we must preach the gospel there. And I've been trained to make a difference. I understand what the gospel says. And when I hear the answers coming from my disturbed in the cities, it disturbs me more because there are no answers that will make a difference. It is not an answer for a man to stand up and say, I have a dream. It is an answer to say, I have a word from God. And the word of God says that you must repent. The word of God says that this is sin. The word of God says Christ is a spiritual solution to the problems in our inner cities. But we can't retreat. We have to run with the purpose to win the sun. And we have to run. Paul says in the text that run in such a way that you might win. Run in such a way that you might win. And I challenge Christians that all are in the race, but all are not running to win the sun. He further describing how it is we must be effective in this race that God has called us to run. He says not only do we need to run with the purpose to win. He says in verse 25, we need to run for the prize with discipline. It says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in an imperishable wreath. And he's using the idea of the secular athletes in the times of the Bible in the city of Corinth, where they had games every two years. And what these athletes would do is that they would dedicate themselves, it says in the text, it says they would exercise self-control. They would even compete. The word is agonize. They would agonize and they would strive in order to compete and to win a perishable wreath. They would exercise self-control in all things. They would have a training regimen lasting 10 months. And if they didn't train that long, they'd be disqualified. Winning requires discipline, it says. And all the best athletes would know that. But here they ran to win. It's called a, a, a pine wreath. They would run to, to, to win a, a pine wreath and they would discipline themselves and agonize and strive to win a perishable pine wreath. And I asked you the question, who was the greatest athlete in the 1976 Olympics? Not too far ago. Who cares? Who cares? All the years of training, all the dedication of their life to win a perishable wreath. Who really cares? And Paul says this. He gives us this illustration in order to shame us. Showing that people in the world strive to win a perishable wreath when we have before us a wreath which will not perish. We have the opportunity to win that which will last forever. 
And so he says, but we an imperishable wreath. So while the non-Christian runs to win a perishable wreath, we've been set in a race where we need to have eternity in view. But we need to have eternity in view. And Paul says that we need to run in such a way to win, but we need to run in such a way also to win an eternal prize that won't fade away. That won't fade away. While while that Christian exercises self-control in all things as well, while the Christian must exercise discipline to win this imperishable wreath, the question has to be asked then, are we not only running with a purpose to win, but are we running with a discipline to be effective to win this imperishable wreath? Are we running with self-control? Are, are, are we becoming all things to all men and setting aside even our own liberties, as Paul is describing in this context, in order that we might win the sum? So when we go home to our non-Christian parents, will we become a slave for them, in order that we might win them for Christ even? Or do we say, well, I'm on my break, and I have some free time, and I have a right to my free time, so I'm going to hang out with my friends? Or do we say that I can become a slave even to my parents in order that I might win some? That I'll become disciplined and I'll set aside the things that I would prefer to do and the things that I would want to do in order that I might win the sum. It matters how we live and it matters how we spend our time and it matters how we use our leisure time because the, the reason why we have time even now is in order to discipline ourselves to run in the race in order that we might win. What Paul is saying here is the sum. In order that we might win the sum. Paul is striving and agonizing to compete for souls for the kingdom. The unfading and perishable crown is not just our salvation, but for those who are presently outside of Christ. And so we run a race. We run a race to win, and we run the race with discipline. And finally, Paul says in verse 26 and 27, Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And Paul says, I run to finish the race. He runs with, he runs with a purpose to win. Paul is saying, I'm running with a commitment for the eternal prize. And finally, he says, I run with the determination to finish the race. I run with the determination to finish the race. He says that is what his purpose is in verse 6. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. Paul says, I'm not not running without aim. He says, I I box in such a way as, as not beating the air. Paul has purpose. The Christian life is not purposeless or aimless. Paul says that he sees his purpose performance, so he runs his life in that way. Do you see this purpose? Does it drive you to finish this race? Does it drive you to discipline your life? When I was a student at UCLA, I had an appointment, and I forgot what time the appointment was. So I, I just ran on campus, and I found myself being at this appointment an hour early. And so I used the time, and I just sat, and I waited, and I prayed. And I sat, and I saw all these students walk before me, one by one. And, and, and for whatever reason, the Lord led me to look at their faces, and they were all different, different faces, different sizes and shapes, and different ethnicities, all kinds of different people. And I thought to myself that the great majority of these people are walking to hell and they don't even know it. When I looked at them, I didn't really see the lawyers and the doctors and the accountants and the engineers. 
I saw people without Christ walking to an endless, eternal judgment before God. And when I looked at them, and I asked myself this question, what is it that they've done that's so horrible to deserve endless torment and punishment before God? And when I looked and I saw that and my mind tried to answer that question, I could only go back to the Bible and say that I have to understand by faith that whatever it is they're doing, it is just because the payment that God will give for whatever it is they're doing matches the crime that they're committing right now. And the payment will be eternal, endless punishment for those. And by faith, I had to see through the eyes of faith that the lost man, his offenses before holy God probably isn't the offenses that the same punishment that I will pay for the same offenses. I perhaps might put him in hell for 10, 20 years, 100 years. But by faith, we have to understand that we have a holy God. We have a righteous God. And that the payment that God will give to those who are outside of Christ now will be just. And by faith, you have to let that drive you. And by faith, you have to understand and see people differently. That is not okay with the person beside you who doesn't know Christ. It's not okay with our neighbors who don't know Christ. It's not okay to the Jews who don't know Christ. It's not okay to the Gentiles who don't know Christ. We have to see people by the eyes of faith. And by the eyes of faith, I understand this. That they're in a world of trouble before a God who's a consuming fire. And he's given us this time to approach them. To challenge them to respond to Christ, to answer hard questions with their life, to look humbly and honestly before God, who is angry at sin, and will ultimately judge them. And so when I used my years at UCLA, by God's grace, when I was there as a student, even as you are, I said, well, what will it cost me if I spend 10, 20 hours a week running a race in order that I might win some? Oh, it might, it might cost me, uh, instead of getting an A minus or B plus, I might have to pay a price of staying up a little late a couple nights a week. I might go to bed at 1.30 instead of 11.30. But perhaps if, if I wasn't in the race, I probably would have stayed up that late anyway playing with my friends. And so I ask you this question. As you go through the college, the master's college, are you running the race? Are you running with this purpose before you that would drive you that would drive you to make a sacrifice for those who are outside of Christ who don't know him, who face an eternal damnation apart from God. Paul says that he ran with a purpose in order that he might win the sum and the determination here to finish a race. And so Paul says in verse 27a that he disciplined his body and he exercised self-control over his body in order to bring his body into submission to finish this race that he had found himself in. He says, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul said that he brought his body under control, because the body, if you don't bring it under control, is not a very good master. It will drive you to rest when you ought to work. It will drive you to seek leisure time when you ought to be busy out preaching the gospel. It will drive you to want to consume the appetites of your flesh when you need to die to those in order to fulfill the spiritual call of Christ in this race that we run in. We learned a couple of things from athletes. One, that they learn to subdue their bodies for a purpose. So Paul uses that illustration. And we also learned the mental toughness it takes to reach a goal. And so we see that here as well. And the Christian is called to run in such a way where he would win in this race. In order to win, he has to run with this purpose. And he also has to run with the desire and the determination to finish.
So finally, Paul says, I buffer my body to make it my slave as possible after I preach to others. I myself should be disqualified. That I myself should be disqualified and that I would not have the impact on others. He says, after I've preached to others. And Paul is running this race vigorously in order that he might win others. And it says that it's his purpose in life, even in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For this reason, I undo all things for the sake of those who are chosen. I undo all things for the sake of those who are chosen. In order that they might be one in this race that he is called to run in. And then also he looks at his own self and see that he's a beneficiary of the gospel. And so he says that he wants to run in order that he wouldn't be disqualified. And Paul saw himself as working out a salvation with fear and trembling. That he saw himself as, I have to finish this race, I'm running again, because the one who doesn't finish is the one who doesn't persevere, and the one who doesn't persevere never had the means to run the race at all anyway. And I'll ask you this question. So why did you come to the Master's College? Why is it that you've come to be equipped at this fine institution? Is it to run a race to win lesser goals? Is it to run a race to win a perishable wreath? Or have you set your life aside for God to run to win others? Have you set your life aside to run for the eternal prizes that will never fade away? Have you set yourself aside to run in such a way that you will finish this race that you're in? And again, I come with you with a burden for those who, though many people aren't running to, I come with a burden of a city where many people aren't running effectively in. And I say, what is the answer to some of our plight and problems in the inner city? I give you no novel thought. It's simply that those who've been trained in the gospel have to run to win the sum even there. Those who've been trained in the gospel have to look at people from eyes other than the eyes that the TV portrays them in. We have to look at people in our inner cities with the eyes of Christ. And while he wept and he bled, he came to save sinners and not to retreat and run away. In the Bible, it talks about that there is a Samaria that's hard to reach. And there's often hostility between those who are Samaritans and those who are native in a given land. And when we look at the conflict between the Samaritans and those who might be native in a land, it's easy even as in John chapter 4, as the apostles did, to go into a city full of Samaritans who didn't know Christ and to walk out with something, nothing more than a meal. But then when the woman who was a Samaritan went into the city, she brought the whole city back out to Christ. Because instead of walking past the Samaritans, she stopped. Instead of rolling up our windows and locking our doors, she stopped with a purpose in order to win the sum. And I challenge you, I challenge you, the gospel can make a difference wherever it is preached. The gospel can make a difference wherever we'll make a stand. And Christ said that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church. But if we don't run, there's no victory to win. If we're not there, there's no sum that we can impact. And if we don't go, then they won't hear. And if those who've been trained and equipped move away, then we aren't running to win. Then we aren't running with a determination to obtain an eternal prize from there. And we aren't running a race 
with the discipline to finish. Will the American church and Christians hear the cry of Samaria? Or will we sit and look at our news and have callous hearts? Will we see the great needs? Will we see our final purpose to run in this race where God has given us time? Or will we simply run to the people that are comfortable with us and not see our burden and our mandate to run to win all everywhere and to discipline our lives in order that we might win some here and some there? I'm thankful that God has sent you to this place, and I trust that you've come in this place to be used by God. And God is doing things in urban cities, even in L.A., that you can be a part of if that will be your burden and your desire. If you can see, well, God, could you use me there? Of course God could use you there. There's been things being worked out, even with the master's colleges I speak, where the master's college is trying to make a, a bigger impact in our urban centers. But that won't happen unless someone goes unless someone heeds the call and someone responds and see that I have to run a race there in order to win the sum. And if you respond, and if you go, then you have the promise of Christ behind you that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church. And as Paul said, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for the Jew and for the Greek. But if we leave our cities over to the politicians, the economists and the educators, and if the church doesn't run, then the impact in the end will affect all of us. Because when explosion is felt from our urban centers, it won't just stay there locally. It'll impact all of us. And I pray that you'll see that God has given you the solution to the problem to run and to run to win, even there.